Hey, everybody. I'm Marty Dodson. And I'm Clay Mills. Welcome to Songtown on Songwriting. Hey, Songtown. This is Clay here, and we have got a very special treat for you this week. I was able to pull my good buddy, Billy Montana, into the Songtown studios a while back and do a live interview in front of a live audience, and we had a great time. For those of you who don't know Billy, his songs have been recorded by Lee Bryce, Garth Brooks, Sarah Evans, Jody Messina, Tim McGraw, John Party, Sister Hazel, Kenny Rogers. I mean, just a long list of famous artists who have sung his songs, including Garth Brooks, who debuted his song, More Than a Memory, that debuted at number one on the Billboard chart in the first week which was unheard of. So without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with Mr. Billy. This is Billy Montana in the house, and we are literally in the house of Songtown Studios here. Um, It's great to have everybody watching tonight. See, we got a lot of people online. We got a live studio audience. We got got people in the balcony tonight. What's going on up there? (laughs) So let's just get started. Tell us about where you came from. I'm originally, I'm originally from upstate New York. Uh, grew up in the Albany, New York area, about 150 miles north of the city. And you all would be amazed at how uh, popular country music is up there. You think New York, you think Manhattan, you think not country. Yeah. Uh, but I actually worked on a farm for seven years before I moved to Nashville and went to school at an agricultural school. And so um, I kind of had that rural thing in my in my bones, I think. And uh, so we moved down here in uh, 1989, and I actually had a record deal on Warner Brothers Records in the 80s with a band called Billy Montana and the Longshots. Yeah. And Paul Worley produced some sides on us. And so... So how did how did that come about? How were you playing up north with this we band? Were. We were. We had a real... Uh, we were... Uh, had a real good following in the Northeast. Mm-hmm. And so we were playing Massachusetts, Connecticut... Um, lots of places in New York State, upstate mostly. but um, And uh, we made a record. We did an independent record that got the attention of Warner Brothers. And so they actually sent three A&R reps up to hear us do a show in, on our own turf, yeah. and which was really cool because we had the crowd all jacked up and they knew what to expect. And so it was really, uh, really good. So we ended up getting a deal and put some singles out. Had some failed singles. Everybody needs those. Did you do the typical thing where you come to town and they find a bunch of songs for you and have session players? Or did did you write the songs? Did you play on the record? Well, we've been writing. And when I go back to listen to those songs, I understand now why Warner's wasn't real keen on us uh, using those. I mean, we were Mm -hmm. pretty much baby writers and could have gotten better. And they did team us up with a lot of uh, staff writers here in Nashville. Um, but we started out doing the session player thing. And then, uh, Paul Worley came up to see, because it, it was always like, man, we couldn't quite capture what the band was about on, at the time it was called vinyl. I don't know if you guys know what that is. (laughs) And, uh, so we couldn't capture on vinyl what was happening live. And so he said, man, you guys just need to play on your own stuff. And so we had an opportunity to do do that. That's great. It was cool. Yeah. So, um, you did that for a few years. How did you make the transition from being the artist to being a staff songwriter? Well, uh, 
it came at the point of losing the record deal. Mm-hmm. I, I was, and that's the truth. I mean, it was like, I, I recognized that if I was going to stay in the music business, I was going to have to find another avenue when the record deal was over. And, and honestly, uh, I never had less money than when the deal was over because we weren't playing a lot. We weren't touring a lot. Uh, didn't have a lot going on. And so, um, I, and I, I, and I hadn't moved to Nashville yet. We still were, okay. we still maintain our residence in upstate New York and would make trips to Nashville for the, for during the record deal years. But, um, after the Warner brothers era, I knew that I would have to relocate here. And so my wife and three kids and I moved down here in 1989 and I got a staff deal. I've only been, I've been blessed to have a staff deal I think it started out because I think I, I had a little bit more of an advantage than just somebody off the street because I had had a record deal and and, and publishing companies had seen my name on the pitch sheets. And right. So they thought, hey, maybe the guy's got artist potential still. And right. so I think that brings your stock up a little bit in the eyes of a publisher. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I probably either if, if took, you're an I took artist, advantage of that. If you're an artist, are you, you're in close writing with an artist? It's better yeah, that, that way. Yeah. I mean, obviously, the the songs have to jump through less hoops right. in order to make it to the radio. Yeah, I mean, you still hear songs from songwriters that aren't artists, and they just wrote a great song, and it cuts through, but it's a little more difficult to do that. Right. you got to write a tremendous song. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. So, um, so you get, based on that, you got your first publishing deal. Was there a moment you can remember when you made that transition where you thought, hmm, maybe... Maybe I can make a career out of being a songwriter like something good happened. Because if you're like me, I came to town, I got my first staff writing deal, and it took a few years to get a big cut. Like, it didn't oh, happen yeah. overnight. Oh, it totally it totally did. But I, there is something that happened in the first couple of months I was in town. A song that I had written by myself, uh, Diana Mayer, who was who is Brent Mayer's daughter. Brent Mayer was producing the Judds, and this was in 1989, and the Judds were tearing it up. And she heard a song that I wrote by myself and put it on, gave gave it to her dad. He put it on hold for the Judds, and I thought, I should have done this years ago. I mean, what? And, of course, they never cut the song. (laughs) (laughs) And and I had my first hit, like, a short 12 years later. So there you go. Yeah, that was me. I, I came to town. I got a, my first cut happened like almost immediately, but it was on an album that, that probably sold like 20,000 copies. And that, that those days, that wasn't enough, nowhere near enough to keep your record deal. Yeah. So um, yeah. that song never really saw the light of day. And then I think it was another eight or nine years before having a big yeah. hit. So. I think that's that's kind of standard. And for people that are listening or watching tonight, you know, you have to take that into account that there's uh, normally a lot of sacrifice of time and effort that goes into it. I wanted to quit a few times. Uh, you know, I remember taking a walk with my dad and uh, just saying, man, I'm, I got three kids and, um, you know, I got to I, I, I gotta be a better husband. I got to settle down. I got to do these things. And, you know, we just don't, don't have any money. I was delivering pizzas still. And... Uh, so I'm, and I figure my dad, you know, he's a practical guy. He's mm-hmm. going to say, yeah, son, it's really time that you, you know, 
but he had exactly the, the response I didn't expect. He was like, you can't quit now. <laughs> You've come too far. You know too many people. I'm like, I didn't want to hear you say that. I wanted to hear you say, yeah, you need to quit. Get a real job. But uh, So you heard it, it here. Out. The guy that wrote the only song in country music to debut at number one for Garth Brooks, he thought about quitting at one time. You know, I, I think a lot of times that's the case with songwriters. You know, uh, I used to have hair, Clay. I know that's really shocking. I've got a cap on. And well, I had a lot of hair. And so uh, when we were getting our hair cut for the uh, Warner Brothers photo shoot, the girl that was cutting my hair was Paul Overstreet's wife, Julie. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her, I said, so what's your husband doing? She says, well, he's a songwriter, but he's thinking about getting out. <laughs> this was in 1985. He just got a Blake Shelton 80, cut this. 85 month. or 86. Okay. And uh I was like, well, has he written anything? I know well, one song. I think he wrote um he wrote a George Jones. He had a George Jones hit. Mm. But she says this guy named Randy Travis has recorded a bunch of his songs. And so he's just kind of before he before he gets out, he's waiting to see what happens with those songs. Yeah. You know, on the other hand, and forever and ever, amen. And those yeah. songs. Those songs. Then he became an artist for a while. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's doing okay. Yeah. So that was your first moment you thought when you got a hold on Winona and, and Naomi. Yeah, I thought maybe I was in the right place. Yeah. I thought so. And I had some folks at the publishing company. I, I was signed at a company called Merit Music that's not around anymore. But they were just super supportive of the, of the songs that I was writing. They were great. Um, had a lot of belief and and I find that when people believe in what you're doing it, it keeps you um, it keeps you going when you don't believe in what you're doing right. and, and Diana Mayer was that for me as well um, and I ended up after the Let's see. I had a, I had a two. I had a, from eighty nine to ninety one. I was with uh, Merritt Music from ninety one to ninety three. I was with Little Big Town Music, which was uh, Woody Bomar's company. Mm -hmm. And then uh, from ninety four to twenty ten, I was with Brent and Diana Mayer's company, Moraine yeah. Music. And then they did a co venture with Curb starting in two thousand. And so now I've been I've been at Curb Publishing since two thousand. Great. So I want to ask you to, I didn't really tell you what songs to play tonight, but I wanted to see if you could play Bring on the Rain. Oh, yeah. I would love to. Yeah. Bring on the Rain. talk the, about it a little bit. Okay. Uh, I'll do this. Uh, <clears throat> still one of my favorite songs. And uh, Rain is my uh, all-time favorite metaphor for challenging times. Another day is on come and gone Can't imagine what else could go wrong Sometimes I'd like to hide away somewhere and lock the door A single battle lost but not the war Cause tomorrow's another day Not thirsty anyway So bring on Yeah. 
Clapping in the rafters up there tonight. Look at them. <laughs> Look at them up there. How's it going up there? <laughs> well, the, one of the reasons I wanted to um, have you play that song is because I always feel like when I've heard your songs, they strike me as they're very commercial, but they seem to keep the heart and soul of music in there. And so that's a great compliment. I want. Well, thank you. I wrote that. I love that. <laughs> Say that again. <laughs> I'm fun. available for bios. <laughs> really, I don't have we'll any, write your bio. I have zero on the chart right at this moment, so I'm, I can use the extra cash. <laughs> but that was, it struck me as it also is kind of like the life of a songwriter. You know, it's like, yeah, today may suck, but tomorrow I can mm -hmm. still wake up and I can still write another song. I can still, you know, change the world. So what, what I'm curious, do you have any approach when you write that mm. that allows you to try to not just sound manufactured and commercial and, uh, and you I absolutely I absolutely tried to not say things the way everybody else says them. I, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly looking for like I've, I've said we're trying to say things that have been said a million times in a way that they've never been said before. And so that's what I strive to do is not like if it's like the popular thing that's going on, then I, I try not to do that. Now, I mean, I don't know if that's smart or stupid. But I just don't have as much success with trying to write commercial songs. Right. And, and my heart's not into them. So I figure if my heart's not into them, how am I going to convince my publisher of that? Or how am I going to convince, you know, a recording artist of that? If I'm yeah. not like fully behind and pumped up and psyched about a song. So I think it just comes from, I liked music that I thought was like very genuine music. And that's what mm -hmm. I cut my teeth on was songs that were, um, that I felt like uh, had something to say, you know, yeah. and, um, and had some genuineness and legitimacy and, and, and something behind them that was some truth behind them. And so I try to put that in as many songs as I can. When we write as many songs as you and I do, you can't do that every day. Right. But it doesn't mean you don't you're, try. You're not in tears every day while you're writing. Yeah. And, and some songs are fun songs. Exactly. And, you know. and, and because songs, yeah, some are just strictly for entertainment. And those are a blast to write, too. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm not, I'm not dissing anything like that. But in my own, my, my favorite songs, and it's cool that a song like... Bring on the rain was the first one that I 
had a hit with because there was so much truth in that song. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, a friend of ours, Tia Sillers, said to me uh, after that, she was like, that's, that's a great song to have as your first one because it'll kind of mark your steps for the rest of your career. And I think wow. she, she was pretty wise, you know, and, and perceptive yeah. in that, you know. Yeah, hers was I Hope You Dance. And it was like, whoa, that bar's up there. Man. And you did the same thing. You're like, put that <laughs> bar way up there. <laughs> you got to live up to it. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's often um, our first cuts. But, you know, like, what if you had written Achy Breaky Heart? And I'm not dissing that song. It's it's a fun song. But it, then it would be, like, hard to, to downplay that and go, but I got this serious song. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Excellent. Um, so, and I've written with you, so I know that there's never any talk of we got to put a truck in this song. I mean, all that stuff is kind of even the new Luke Bryan record. If you listen to it from top to bottom, I think he says truck one time in it. So I think that that trend's kind of going away. But um, is there anything else that you are consciously trying to or subconsciously doing besides trying to just say things differently than everyone else's? Doing it, do you well? You know, you touched on the commercial thing, and I don't know if that's a natural thing because here's this is kind of a funny thing. Um, my I've spoken a lot about Diana Mayer and Brent Mayer, you know, she so she we just kind of did this exercise, uh, to see she examined all the hit songs in the in their catalog, Mm -hmm. in that publishing company's catalog, and she called me in her office one time and she says, You know, here's the deal on these almost across the board the hit songs the, the the chorus starts with the hook and ends with the hook right i mean she says it's but she says your songs are the only hit songs in this catalog <laughs> that don't do that so uh and i was like good <laughs> but uh <laughs> And you're like me. It's like if everyone else is over here, I'm trying to be over here. I just can't help myself. I can't help it. I've always been that way. And so, uh, yeah, like if if somebody's saying, you know, we might be in a pitch meeting or something and and somebody's saying, man, I only want like I'm looking for up tempo and blah, blah, blah. I'll play him some I'll play him some heartfelt ballad because everybody else is playing him some up tempo with with a loop under it. And so I'll go for the and they're like, man, that's. That's a really good song. I'll take a copy of that because, you know, they think they're looking for something, but uh, nobody will, nobody will pass on a song that they think will elevate their career. Yeah, that's um, Chris Wallen said he pitched thirty songs to Kenny Chesney because Kenny was saying, "I want up tempo. Don't play many ballads." So then he he ends up yes, that's Kenny. Oh, Kenny! Hey, glad you're watching. Um, <laughs> um, so Chris Wallen pitched him. Up tempo after up tempo after up tempo, and Kenny kept saying, "I don't want to hear ballads. I've got all the ballads." And then one day he just said, "Screw it," and sent him "Don't Blink," and then it became a big hit for Kenny Chesney. Oh so you can't listen to what they tell you. you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, that's amazing. They'll they'll take a great song. So, what are three qualities that you think if somebody said to you, "I want to be a songwriter"? What are the three most important qualities they would have to have? I think they would have to, let's see, three qualities to be a songwriter. You have to have some um, self, 
you have to believe in yourself and what you're doing. Believe that your songs are decent. You have to uh, uh, have. You have to be have a sense of professionalism, and then also a sense of um, persistence. I think you have to be persistent. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because I don't. I if I was to if you were to ask me. 25 years ago, do you have those qualities? I would probably have said no. But I think I did. I just didn't recognize them. Like, right. in other words, I don't like to hear the words no or I don't like that or there's something wrong with it. Like, that gets my hackles up. But, and so, and I'm also kind of sensitive about those things. Like, it's like, I don't, uh, you know, it's like I take things personally like that. And so if you add for all of the rejection that you have to take as a songwriter, I would have been out of here years ago yeah. uh, if I didn't possess persistence, some, some uh, belief in myself and uh, whatever the third thing was that I said. Right. You know, you have to also, you have to be critical of your own stuff. You can't, like, don't just slide a line into slide a line in. I mean, you kind of got to... Right. It takes elbow grease. I was watching the history of the Eagles, you know, and Glenn Fry was talking about how he learned how to write songs. He was listening to Jackson Brown downstairs, and he'd say he played however many times he'd play that verse and the chorus, and he'd over and over and over again. And then he, you know, and he says his conclusion was oh that's how you write songs <laughs> elbow grease yeah and that's exactly right yes elbow grease you still you had me at hackles i'm still trying to figure out what is a hackle i'm gonna look that up somebody look that up <laughs> see if that's even a word um peanut gallery do we have more questions no but that, there was a comment uh, yeah so I, you lost it there a little bit yeah I, I, it just hit me i I'll find it here in a second. You, you said to milk weed. And you know, he said, we milk weed in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> he says, we milk weed in Colorado. I'll say, for all it's worth. <laughs> Send That's in your hilarious. questions. We have Billy Montana here tonight. And he has been for the last, how many years have you been in Nashville? 26 years. Wow. About the, you probably got here about the same time. Well, a little before. 89? A little bit before. Yeah, when, when did you get here? 94. But we both had our first big hit around the same time. What was your yeah. first one? Beautiful Mess. Oh, yeah. That's an awesome song. So we, we both had our first hit out at the same time. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. We did it, man. Now we got to do it tomorrow. And we got to do it tomorrow. <laughs> it never is. What are we going to do? It doesn't ever. <laughs> because it isn't about, and that's the other thing, it's not about the level, like, and it's not that I could retire financially or anything, but it isn't even about that. It's about that you're doing something that you want. It's almost that thing that we were talking about, you know, like having somebody to play your songs for. I mean, right. you want people to, the reason we got into this in the first place was to communicate things. Mm -hmm. And, and be creative and communicate things. And so um, you don't just shut that off. You, you can't just walk away from that and say, right. oh, yeah. It's addicting. It's addicting. But you think if you weren't here in Nashville, you would be playing somewhere in a 
club on the weekends or? You know, I think now I would be. If you'd have asked me that question 15 years ago, I would say no. But I think now at this point, I have, um, because I think for me, music has gone through spells. Like there's, I came, I got into it because I was enamored with it and, and loved it and appreciated great songs and great songwriters. And, uh, and then there's a spell where there's discouragement and I got kind of aggravated at the business of it yeah. and didn't like the business of it at all. Um, but I've come back around to being appreciative that I get to do this instead of have to do it. And so I think, I think at this point in my life, I would love to just, I love playing live. Yeah. So I would go back to doing it. Awesome. We got more questions. Uh, do you ever question the judgment of your publisher? Oh yeah. I mean, sure. And, and, and they, us, you know, it's a, it's a partnership. Um, you know, I'm sure that they don't love, obviously I write up, this is going to sound, it may sound crazy. I write probably 150, got close to 200 songs one year. And um, they're not going to like all of those songs. And I'm not going to like all of those songs. Um, there, I think the cream rises to the top. But yeah, I mean, you know, but it is definitely a partnership where they they might tell me something, but say, but it's your song and allow me the leeway for that. And on the same token, you know, I might question, you know, what is it you don't like about this song because you're not pitching this song and I think it's great. But that's what, you know, I mean, that's part of the process of maybe making a song better. I don't know everything and they don't know everything. Yeah. Do you always write with that guitar if I don't know? No. So you, the question was, do you always write with that guitar? Oh, oh yeah, we need to mic that. Uh, I do not. I write with, um, I write with a Guild. It's just got a different sound, and I write with a an electric guitar sometimes, a Tele, just because it changes it up. Sometimes, if you want to do some things different, I'd suggest capoing, you know, because it puts you in some different. Um, positions that you can I don't know you'll just think differently the song will sound different some I've uh, had people come in with a high strung guitar yeah uh, just anything you can do I bought a ganjo actually because I can't play banjo but I bought a ganjo because I figured you can't write a sad song on a banjo right <laughs> so so you're writing sad bluegrass ballads yeah I'm, uh, you know <laughs> In the pines, in the pines, where the sun never shines. <laughs> you got Oops. another question, Ricky? Uh, when submitting a song for television or movie, the type of opportunity should you present a fully demoed song or a bedroom recording? Is that sufficient? Fully demoed. Fully demoed. Yes, because I think they would. Uh, there's a possibility in that. Mo it, it, the, the question was: When you're presenting a song to TV or movie, uh, do you do you present a guitar vocal you know like a bedroom demo or a full demo i suggested a full demo because any that market in particular may just upgrade it and use the demo if it's yeah. right they're not interested in uh in working up a song they're interested in having a song yeah that's a cool question any other questions never got that one before. I, don't, I don't think so Okay, favorite song you've ever written? 
Don't you hate when people ask you that? Yeah, because... Because uh, <laughs> you like them all. <laughs> I, I don't, but I mean... I, I like... Uh, I have a song called House of a Thousand Dreams. It's maybe one of my favorites. I think I've heard you play that at I think I've played it out. Yeah. And, uh, and then Martina McBride did cut it back in 07. So it, it is out there. And um, and it was pre-House That Built Me. So I didn't... You know, it's a house song. But, right. Uh, the I think what I like about it is its honesty and... And it it came from a real place for me, and so I think that's that's the thing for me. We were, you know, we we lived in a, you know, um, financially not not good position for a long time, um, and not in a house that was a great house, and not in a good part of town, and all of the things, and so I here I am struggling and thinking that all oh, my family needs more. My family needs more. My wife is just getting by and doing the best she can, and then our kids were completely oblivious to the fact that we were broke. <laughs> completely oblivious. <laughs> they were and just so, having a good time. Yeah, and so that's that's what that song addresses: is everybody's living under the same roof, and everybody has a different perspective of what's happening. Right. So, do you have any advice for a? A songwriter who's not performing or can't play well or can't play an instrument. Uh, Advice for a songwriter who's not performing or doesn't play an instrument is to team up with somebody who does. There are some great lyricists. Liz Rose is not um, struggling by any stretch, right? No. Um, she wrote Crazy Girl with Lee. Yeah. She wrote a bunch of the Taylor it's Swift Taylor stuff. Swift. I think she's on uh, Girl Crush. Yeah, I think if you're not going to play an instrument and be that musical, then you really have to focus on writing great lyrics. Yeah. Because especially in a town like Nashville, if you bring a great idea like Lee had more than a memory and you light up and go, wow, I, okay, I can do something with this. If if you can come to town with some great ideas and write good lyrics, I think you, you're always going to have a place if you're really good at it. You know? Sam Hogan was a friend of mine that... Um had a song of the year and he didn't play an instrument strictly a lyricist so you can do it I think it'd be challenging this Hall of Fame, fame writers uh, Rory Burke um, mm. I used to write with him when I first That's moved right. to town and he had just you know he's a Hall of Famer he had hit after hit and he kind of plucked around on a guitar a little bit later on but you know mostly he he was not a guitar player couldn't sing very well right um, but he sure knew how to take a song and make it better. Yeah. Yeah. Another question. Um, is it ever acceptable in Nashville to uh, co-write but have, but have it take more than a few hours? Because this lady takes a long time to write a song, she says. She wants to know, is that, is that a If your co-writers... You know, the, the question is, co-writing, is it okay, is it acceptable in Nashville to take a long time on a song when you're co-writing. And the answer to that is yes, if your co-writer is up for it and, and good for it. Uh, not everybody writes, churns them out in a, in a matter of half a day or a day. Um, I think you get better at doing that just because you're exercised in that, you know, you're, you're in shape to do that. But there's absolutely nothing wrong with taking time and crossing every T and dotting every I and turning over every stone, making sure that the song is as strong as it is. It's harder for me to write that way these days. I used to write more that way. It's harder for me to write that way these days to keep my interest in the song. 
Um, however, that said, uh, I don't want to throw a line in there just to throw a line in there and walk away from the song. I still want it to be as good as it can be. House of a Thousand Dreams, which I'm saying is my favorite song. We worked on that song for 13 months to try to get it where it needed to be. Now, a lot of that was music. We had the music and I was looking for the best title. And then when I came up with that title, I was looking for the best way to write it. And there were lots of... So it's not like we spent right. only on that song 13 months, but off and on in the back of my mind, I would pull the guitar out, play that play that music, and try to come up with a title for it. And if the title fell short, I would put the guitar away and go work on something else. So um, it's it's it happens all different kinds of ways. Yeah. They want to know if you ride your best stuff with a, with a, a fresh rider or a new, or a new rider. Uh, I've done really well with new writers. Um, every one of my, I've had four number one songs and every one of those songs was for my co-writer, their first number one. Cool. I think I was, I'm the same way. It's, I, I kind of like that. To some degree, uh, I may be intimidated when I get into a room with somebody that's a hall of famer mm -hmm. and I'm not sure if I, but uh, bring my best stuff and um, perhaps with a baby writer or with someone who's just come, just coming up and that type of thing, maybe there's just something in the chemistry that works. Yeah. That's, yeah, a, that's a cool thing. Or even, well, I, I joke, uh, Darius Rucker had never had, with Hootie and the Blowfish, they never had a number one song. No way. So I, w I always joke with him that <laughs> I, <laughs> you know, it's a little private joke that we have. Hey, Darius. <laughs> I helped him get his first number one. That's awesome. Yeah. Do you tweak your songs later on very much? Do you ever go back and tweak them? It's a good idea. It's yeah. a good idea to go back and listen to them. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say yes. Uh, not a ton, um, but you will hear things going into, like, Again, I write so many songs that I'm, I have to purposefully go back and listen to them. But when I go back and listen to them, then I can see places where they can be stronger. So I'm not a huge fan of running in and demoing it right away. Like I'd rather let it, I'd rather uh, allow it to, allow the flaws to reveal themselves in the work tape. And then by the time you demo it, they're, <laughs> they're out of there. You've taken yeah. them out. I mean, it often we'll be in the midst of demoing something and tweak it here or there in the demo process. Absolutely. That you happens. hear the singer on the mic and you go, well, mm, that sounds a little busy there. Right. How can we, like, clean that up? Or you know. Yeah, exactly. Any more questions? I think, well, I, uh, I hope I have a question, yeah. Okay. Um, if you could give, we'll just wrap up on this. If you could give one piece of advice to a songwriter who's trying to break into the business, what would it be? Just to break into, like, be a professional songwriter? Yeah. Um, to recognize that. To recognize that you're trying to break into a profession. And that it's different. That it's a profession. That it's different than 
you wouldn't believe the difference between writing songs for the joy of writing songs and writing songs to put bread on the table. It changes everything yeah. uh, when you when you when you approach it that way. Therefore, since it is a profession, you must be a professional. And so that would be my advice: is to be professional about it. So that what does that mean? It means be uh, respectful, uh, set meetings, and be on time for meetings, and accept. Uh, criticism uh, for what it's worth, Uh, work hard, Um, you know, all of those types of things that you would do if you were starting some other kind of business. Yeah. Awesome. So that's it. Have a good night and thank you for being here. That concludes our show for this week. I hope you guys like this as much as I did. We'll see you next episode of Songtown on Songwriting. Cheers, y'all.